let me tell you about a few uh, shameful moments in my recent past. Two weeks ago, I was discussing with some colleagues, uh, credo staff workers, about the suitability of asking a uh, particular Christian pastor to do a ministry task for credo on campus. And I massively overstated my negative assessment. Uh, actually, it wasn't just a, an egging, if you know what a me- metaphorical egging is. It was more like a character assassination. So to my shame, I have done unnecessary and unjustified damage to his reputation uh, behind his back. Uh, Here's another one. Earlier this year, I was brainstorming uh, in a brainstorming group for community action in my neighbourhood. And during the brainstorm, I thought I had a fantastic suggestion. I mean, this suggestion was so good, it would solve all the world's problems. However, no one else agreed or particularly thought it was a great idea. But instead of getting on with the brainstorming, uh, the true activity, instead I just kept saying my original idea just in different ways (laughs) over and over again and it just frustrated everyone. And uh, lastly, before I embarrass myself too much, at a recent family gathering, I raised yet again an old joke. Okay, it was a funny but still embarrassing uh, incident from family history but it was also known to be a joke that was beyond its use-by date. And so instead of laughs, it just left uh, a relative in tears. Now, particularly, <coughs> I might be particularly evil or unusually careless, but even if you aren't as self-obsessed as I am, let me ask a question. Why is it that we struggle even with the most essential in relationships. Because, you know, we fight with friends over mistakes and misunderstandings. We hold massive grievances and grudges with siblings over past little issues. Uh, We put down our loved ones and our family unnecessarily And what is more, sometimes we don't even realise we're doing these things, though everyone else around us knows. Here's an irony, here's a a contrast. We're at university getting degrees. These are highly specialised qualifications. And we can't even do the basic things of life very well. So the question is, where do we get the power for change from, for dealing with you know, the messes that we make in our relationships, for, for becoming even slightly less uh, self-obsessed? How do we become who we are meant to be? This, I believe, is what Jesus was talking about in his famous invitation, the truth will set you free. Well, I have a more conventional three-point talk 
uh, today than last week. Firstly, the call to freedom. Secondly, freedom misunderstood. And then thirdly, the daily experience of freedom. So firstly, let's think about the call to freedom. And you can see this in your outline there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This is picking up from where we left last week in Galatians 5, verse 12. So just resuming at verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So this is kind of uh, recalling last week, and that's nice because it gives me a chance to refresh what we saw last week on freedom for those uh, who couldn't make it. Much briefer, of course. Last week we discovered the radical news that freedom, the freedom that Jesus offers, it's not about attaining a kind of a level of personal okayness, whether that scale is religious or social or economic or intellectual or political or whatever scale you might kind of choose for yourself. I admit that in our broken and dark world there is a particular psychological freedom that comes by thinking that you've achieved a certain okayness level or at least you're on the pathway to contributing more good in our world than bad. It's kind of a relief, isn't it? That we might be more part of the solution than the problems in our world. Now, in this letter, Galatians, the Apostle Paul, a delegate of Jesus, he's, the, the, the phrase that he uses for those sort of attainment scales, those measures, is righteousness. Righteousness. It was in the... Uh, little passage that Poe read for us. And particularly righteousness through the law. That kind of righteousness, it's kind of a self-assessed, a self-judged uh, okayness, he points out ends up being slavery. It's like being burdened with a big yoke of chains. Because this kind of system... This measurement system either leaves you spiralling up as you kind of self-deludedly evaluate yourself against others. I'm so much better than you because they don't measure up to your same standard. Either that or it crushes you for not being able to, you know, because you know that you, you can't reach the level that you've set for yourself. So either way, you're in slavery, you're in bondage because you're either desperate to attain the level or if you've attained the level, you're really anxious to maintain it. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So we have this bridge verse reminding us that Jesus wants us to be free in him. And... This is radical freedom because it's not found in this kind of system, this measurement of self-achievement. But rather, it's about receiving the gift of okayness from Jesus and his work on your behalf. And you see this in the little word called. You were called to be free. So just think about a call. 
even just a phone call, say. Because this is a radical nature of Jesus' freedom. It's different than attaining a religious standard or a performance of some other. Have you ever been unexpectedly interrupted by a call? You didn't ask for the call. Uh, It just came. It maybe surprised you. It maybe interrupted you. It maybe even disrupted you. You were doing something, studying, beavering away, doing your own thing, and then suddenly you were doing something else. You were talking to a person. You were kind of called out of what you were doing and you were engaged in their world, in their discussion, in their agenda. You didn't earn this call. You didn't ask for it. You didn't kind of make your phone ring. It just came. Perhaps initially you didn't even want to take the call. And some people are like that when they get the call from Jesus as well. They're resistant initially. See, what is the normal verb that you would put with the word free or freedom in a sentence? It would be something very active, wouldn't it? We won freedom! Or we achieved a debt-free lifestyle. But what's... What's it say here? It's much more passive, isn't it? You have been called. It's something that's something that you just receive. Jesus' freedom is something that you're invited into. There was actually a movie that came out last year called God Calling uh, about someone getting phone calls from God on their phone. <laughs> I don't know, did anyone actually see it? I think it's also been t- turned into a, um, a show. Um, no, I, I didn't see it either because I didn't think it would be any good. And it seems like you guys agreed. But this is a good call, the one we're talking about here in Galatians. This is a really good call because the news is that, that we receive is that we're freed from desperately trying to attain an, a level of okayness and then anxiously maintaining it. We can actually receive it instead as something from Jesus who achieved it for us. Okay, second point, freedom misunderstood. You might go, okay, I've understood that, Paul. This is something that Jesus has done for me. It's an invitation that he's offering to freedom. But there's a a way of badly twisting this, of distorting this radical freedom from Jesus. And because it is so different, I guess misunderstanding is easy. So let's keep reading in verse 13. You are called to freedom. But, it says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Paul is addressing a misunderstanding of Christian freedom here. See, the misunderstanding goes like this. If Jesus, if freedom really comes as a gift from Jesus, it's not attained, 
by us measuring up to some standard, then you can go, well, okay, so it doesn't matter what I do then. Because it's a gift, I'm free. Uh, it's okay who I, whatever. Uh, whatever standard you're talking about. It's okay who I vote for. Um, or even whether I vote at all. Because I'm righteous with the one who really matters, with God. So I don't need to worry, I'm free. Or, you know, it's fine to be greedy and overconsume and not give us stuff about the health of the planet because, well, Christians have been given a, you know, a get-out-of-jail-free card. So I can go and live any way that I want now. Or we could just keep multiplying these, couldn't we? Um, I don't have to worry about the Orthodox Christian teaching to reserve sex for both uh, a biblically defined and legally condoned marriage because, you know, I've been called to freedom. I'm free. And on and on it goes. So, if these thoughts are coming to mind, these kind of, really? Can it be really a gift, Paul? Let me say that you're probably very close to actually starting to understand the offer of Jesus that Paul is explaining here. Because our inbuilt pride and our bias towards performance, including moral performance, social performance, intellectual performance, being the system, the standard that we we measure up to, that's so deep, isn't it, in our culture? That the the thought of of, of, of receiving a status of righteous apart from that system, that can be really alarming. You can go, well, hang on, what about all the good stuff that I've done? Doesn't that count for something? And so we misunderstand Jesus' freedom. You you think that when Jesus says, the truth will set you free, hang on, so I can just do anything now, Jesus. You've given me a get-out-of-jail-free card. So, freedom for anarchy, this misunderstanding, is not the freedom Jesus gives. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Because, what did Poe read? That first little paragraph, look at it again. What what does it say? It says, I have been what? Crucified with Christ. It says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. So there is no get out of jail free, is there? It's get out of jail at enormous cost, actually. It's a get out of jail at enormous cost card, which we do freely receive, but not randomly by chance. No, we receive it directly from the one who paid the cost. That's that's what faith in Jesus means. It means we get what he has. And the enormity of this love which received is what makes us more loving. In that uh, first paragraph there, there's actually another little sort of critique 
looking back uh, to last week in those words in verse 14. If you want to fulfill the law, what do you think he's saying there? Don't go and get circumcised, which is what they want. Don't be sort of enchained by a a religious self-measurement standard. Because any achievement system will make you, you know, condescending to others, looking down on them, not serving them. You can fulfill the law by love, not circumcision. And what enables love for others? Knowing that you're already loved 3,000. Actually, loved beyond measure. Jesus served us off the charts when he gave up his heavenly glory, when he became a human with us, when he lived amongst us, when he lived perfectly for us, when he attained all of the measures that matter objectively, including fulfilling the law, the Old Testament law. Why? So that he could represent us forever before God in his death and resurrection, so that we we're crucified to the, to the Lord. It means that we're dead to it and living for God alone. So, we're called to freedom in Christ, but it's not a freedom for anarchy, to do what we want. Freedom from having to measure up was a gift given to us in love. And so what does it lead to? It leads to us loving as an overflow. It came to us by sacrificial service. And so it leads to service of others. It's unexpected. And so then, quite unusually, the way to be transformed in the basics of relating to others in love and serving them is actually to know more and more clearly that we ourselves don't measure up with God and so actually can't really with others either. But that remarkably, God has gifted us in Jesus' freedom to live for God and so we can live freely for others too. Third point, and lastly, the daily experience of freedom. What does all of this mean uh, for our daily experience? You know, the nitty-gritty of life, those relationships, difficulties, that you know, the, uh, the frustrations. Freedom in Christ lived out looks and feels actually like an intense battle. Not, of course, against the others <laughs> that you're relating to. An intense battle within ourselves. And this battle, this fight is kind of pictured extensively for us. So let me just finish the reading. So I say, verse uh, 16, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Here's the battle. The con- They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, 
And there are kind of some groupings here. First grouping, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. About how we use our bodies in relation to others. Second grouping, idolatry and witchcraft. Kind of uh, a ritual grouping, a worship grouping. Third grouping, and this is kind of where social media leverages so much, our flesh, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Then there's a fourth grouping, drunkenness, orgies, the kind of substance abuse, the addictions, that kind of stuff. And then a fifth grouping and things like these. (laughs) I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but, and here's the picture of the good outcomes of the battle, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such law there is no things. This is a strange picture of freedom, isn't it? It's not a picture of, all, it's all calm. You know, it's all good. It's, all, it's a placid scene. It's not a picture of an easy life, is it? No, freedom in Christ is a different kind of freedom. And so what it looks like in, in the daily nitty-gritty is a freedom to contend, a freedom to contest, uh, the ability to, to engage in the battle. It's the spirit of Jesus in us helping us to fight the desires of the flesh. Christian freedom is is not just about an acceptable status with God through Jesus, but it's also about a power from God thing as well. The spirit of Jesus in our lives, helping us to engage in a battle against all the kinds of things actually within us that Jesus willingly died for on our behalf. So I want to speak to you Christians, and then I want to speak to you non-Christians. Firstly, Christians, if you feel that you are struggling to live for God. You know, maybe there are matters in your life that bother you repeatedly and you only see kind of like, oh, one step forward and then two steps back and then three steps sideways and then one step forward again and... That kind of experience then actually take comfort because that struggle itself is a testament to you that you have been freed already in Christ because no one without the spirit of Jesus struggles to live for God like that. I mean, they might have an occasional moral qualm, but not a daily, even hourly struggle contesting within the soul. So if this is you, It's a picture of freedom. But it's not indulging the flesh, is it? It's fighting. And if you're not a Christian, do you have the, the bravery to admit uh, your struggles in even the basics of life? Would you like the freedom to charge into battle? instead of cowering behind the safety lines of presenting, you know, a mask of okayness to others. 
a, a pretense that you can achieve freedom in your own efforts. If that's what you want, then you need the call. The call to true freedom first. So that you can also receive the power for the fight. See, first you get Jesus' status, his okayness, and then you get his spirit, his powerful presence. But the call is not something necessarily mysterious. You know, an audible voice, a phone message from God, despite my earlier illustration. Don't, don't imagine that. You're actually receiving the call right now. As I explain Jesus to you, the significance of his death and resurrection, that's the call. Did you know that? You've come to Credo today because God wants you to hear his message to you. And it's not a call to kind of go and buy something, which most calls are about these days, aren't they? It's not a call to go and do something or to try harder for him. All the normal kind of roots to freedom in our world. No, it's a call inviting you to receive freedom from Jesus, which is not a freedom to do what you want, but a freedom to enter into the battle, power for living and loving. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. You want to become free? In conclusion, here is how Paul has been explaining it in Galatians 5 through these last verses that I'll read to sum it up. Why does the truth of Jesus set you free? Because those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh. It died with Jesus and its passions and desires. So we live by the power of the Spirit now. So let us keep in step with the Spirit. Monique and I are going to pray. Monique.